Well, the Lord is here, and if you believe that, say, His Spirit is with us. Amen. Well, if you're new uh, to our church, first of all, my name is Joseph, one of the pastors here. Great to have you here. But if you're new to our church or maybe new uh, to our series here, uh, we are in a book in the Bible called First Samuel. And uh, you can catch up with the whole series uh, on our website or on uh, our Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you want to listen to it. But uh, this book really hinges on attention between the kingship uh, the people desire and the covenant that God desires. And all of this creates a whole bunch of conflict, both internal and external in Israel. And so the title of our series, Conflict, Kingship, and Covenants. And these three key themes really come into focus and come to a head here in chapter 12, which is really the the transition in the Old Testament from the era of the judges to the era of kingship in Israel. And what Samuel says here in part of what Paul read in in what is a bit of a, a farewell speech is that the reason... Israel ended up in this position where they are are now, essentially outside of God's will and His desire, is that they forgot to remember. And so my title this morning, Don't Forget to Remember. I don't know about you, uh, but as I get older... I'm finding it much, much harder to remember things, and I need more regular reminders than ever to help me remember. And so, you know, you know I've officially entered into a brand new stage in life when I need one of these. Pill organizer. I know, it's sad, but a necessity, right? And there's two signs in having this that, of course, show uh, that you're aging. Number one, the fact that I have enough medications and supplements that I need a pill organizer, and without those meds wouldn't be functioning well as a human being. That's sign number one. But two, the hard truth that without it, I won't remember if I've taken them or not. And that's what was happening. I was just at first leaving kind of the bottles out on the table And then I just wouldn't be able to remember, did I take them or did I not take them? And I'd only been up for 10 minutes, and I can't remember. And so I was like, all right, I just got to do this. But the truth is, when something is important to us, like medications that help us function well, we set up reminders to help us remember because we know the danger of forgetting, right? You don't want to see me slip back into a deep depression. I don't think so, anyway. I need these things or I won't be good for anyone. And that's what I want to zero in on here for today's text. This biblical call to regularly remember what God has done and the danger of forgetting. So let's talk about this spiritual call to remember. So Samuel starts what is essentially a sermon here in chapter 12 by saying, hey, I've been a really godly leader. And the people respond and they say, yeah, actually you have. You've been a really, really good leader in verses 2 through 5. But despite Samuel's godly leadership as prophet, priest, and judge, the people say, well, we don't want to be 
under that kind of leadership. We want a king, which was my last message in this series. And this idea displeased the Lord, namely because it was a rejection of God's covenant and the leadership he had provided for them through people like Samuel. But the people say, we don't want to be different. We want to be like all the other nations. And so Samuel says in verse 7, let me reason with you about what God has done. And in verses 7 through 11, he goes through how God has delivered Israel from their enemies, right? How every time they cried out to them, he rescued them. He tells the story of how he sent Moses and Aaron to deliver them from the Egyptians. Then he rescued them from the Philistines. He sent Gideon, called Jerubbabel, here in verse 11, and others to save them from their enemies. And yet, despite all that, in a verse that can really only be read with tears in our eyes. Because it represents all of us and our faithless, erratic, and fickle hearts. Samuel says in verse 12, But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, No, we want a king to rule over us. Even though the Lord your God was your king. Now here is the king you have chosen. The one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. So as soon as the Israelites saw something or someone doing something that looked more appealing, saw something that maybe looked a little easier, that would help them fit in with the world around them, they run to it and forget what God had done. In a split second, they forget everything God had ever done for them. And God, like an abandoned and and hurt lover, just says, I won't stop you. Go ahead. And he gives them a king. And the people know it's wrong. They say so in verse 20, that it's an evil, sinful desire But then they say, but we're going to go through with it anyway. I mean, it's the equivalent of just saying straight to your spouse's face, I know you've been good to me all these years. You stuck by my side. You've forgiven me time and time again. We've been through so much, but found someone younger, more exciting. Hang with the cooler crowds. So I'm leaving you. I know it's wrong, but I'm just going to do what I want to do. And as we talked about in the last message, God respects our freedom to choose. He will turn us over to our own desires. If we want to trust in other things besides God, He will let us, whether it be a human leader as it is here, our bank accounts, our own wisdom or the wisdom of the world, what everyone around us is saying and telling us, if we want to trust in those things instead of God and God's Word, He will let us, although with tears in His eyes. So how did Israel get in a position where despite all God had done for them, the supernatural deliverance He had provided, they still rejected Him and his ways. How do you get there? 
Well, the answer is simply stated here in verse 9, that they forgot the Lord their God. I mean, if you read the Old Testament, this is basically the main complaint from God toward the people over and over again in the Old Testament. In some of the prophetic books like Hosea, we've preached a series on that. You can listen to it. But God compares Israel to his lover, whom he had been faithful to, but in return, she abandoned him. He did everything for his love, but once they saw something better, God says, but me, she forgot, she being Israel. And it's why Samuel finishes his message and plea here in chapter 12 by saying, consider, verse 24, consider what great things God has done for you. Remember, don't forget. And then he calls them to repentance. Because despite all Israel has done, all the ways that they've forgotten God, abandoned God, the evil they've done, Samuel says, all hope is not lost. He says in verses 20 and 21, there's still a chance. Turn away from these useless idols and lovers that can't rescue you and serve the Lord faithfully. And he says this twice, with all your heart, return to the Lord. God has not given up on them, nor us. But why would God give them another chance? I mean, why not just forget Israel the way Israel has forgotten God? Well, the answer is in verse 22, and it's an answer of grace, where it says, For the sake of His great name, the Lord will not reject His people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. Why is God sticking with Israel? It's not because anything Israel has done. Right? They don't deserve it. It's for the sake of the Lord's great name because he has chosen them. As I've said before, why does God love Israel? The only biblical answer is that he loves them because he loves them. It's covenant love. It's grace. So it's so important that we would make application and that we would take heed from the warning of this chapter and the spiritual call not to forget, to remember. As the Bible tells us in the New Testament, these stories were written to instruct us, right? They were they're there for us to learn from. They are here to help us. And so let's talk about how we cannot forget to remember. So throughout the Old Testament, God tries again and again to try to help the people remember. I mean, we've seen it already here in 1 Samuel. In chapter 7, uh, Samuel sets up a stone in verse 12, and he calls it Ebenezer that we sang about, and it just means stone of help. And it was meant to help the people remember what God had done. It's why when they miraculously crossed the Jordan, when the Lord parts the river into the promised land in Joshua 3 and 4, Joshua instructs them to take 12 large stones to the other side, representing the 12 tribes, and set them up and says, hey, when your children ask you later on, what do these stones mean? Tell them what God did and use these as a sign to help you remember who God is. 
See, God knows that we're weak. It's really hard to remember. And so he gives us helps along the way. And whereas stones and other reminders were often the signs and symbols of God's covenant in the Old Testament, under the New Covenant, the signs and symbols to help us remember are the cross, are His broken body and poured out blood, and most importantly, the inner witness of the Spirit given to us. And instead of a stone monument, we remember the rolled away stone the empty grave, the resurrection. These are the signs of God's faithfulness to help us regularly remember that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. We got to hear that message pretty much every day. So how do we not forget to remember what God has done in Christ? Of course, you know, reading our Bible and and journaling and setting up reminders, writing out praise reports when you come in every Sunday as we encourage you uh, to do. Those are just ways of, of saying, God, I remember what you've done and so on. But whereas those are somewhat individual things, in light of the corporate community context of this passage, I mainly want to focus on one command God has asked us to do for our benefit to help us remember, and that is that we need to regularly come together to remember. The Bible clearly teaches in in Hebrews 10, 23, and 25 that in order to encourage each other not to forget what it is we're called to do and the hope that we're called to and profess in the faithfulness of God that we must make sure we regularly gather together to remember. God doesn't ask us to do this because He wants to make sure we go to church, right, as if that can save us. Who cares about that? He asks because we need to regularly come together under this cross and around this table to remember because otherwise we will begin to forget and to fall away. I've been doing this for 20 years now, and I've never seen someone stop gathering with the church and become more cognizant of what God has done for them, and therefore become, you know, more kind, more generous, less self-centered and inward focused, more loving. I've, I've never seen it happen. Sadly, it's almost always the opposite. As people stop gathering with the people of God, they slowly become more jaded, bitter, disillusioned, turned inward, suspicious, as they stop remembering God's love and faithfulness and what He's done and is called to love and to forgive. But I do see all the time as people gather regularly to remember that God is good, that God is gracious, He is loving, and He's kind to remember the cross and His grace and the hope we have that they start to look more like Jesus. And you might say, well, why is that? Like, why, why can't I just seem to remember on my own without the help of others? I love this quote from Luther that I came across recently that answers just the way God works. And he says this, he says, at home in my house, there is no warmth or vigor in me, but in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. 
There's just a grace upon the gathered people of God. It's by God's design. And as is obvious in the Old Testament and carries over to the New, we have to remember that God is not as concerned with forming individual persons as He is a people, a group called together to bless the world, which was the calling of Israel that is now extended to us, the church. And so, friends, this is not about church attendance. This is about saving ourselves and our families from the sin of forgetfulness, which can ultimately lead to destruction. I mean, the warning in the last verse of today's text is strong, that if we decide not to remember God's faithfulness and not to turn back to Him with all our hearts and instead persist in our own way of life, the result is perishing, spiritual death. And it's why I take my job and calling so seriously. Right? My job is similar to Samuel and the message he preaches here in chapter 12. He lays out his calling in verse 7, which is to present the evidence of God's faithfulness. Or as other translations say here, to reason with them or to remind them of who God is. And of course, as we've learned in this series, because we are now all priests and prophets before God in the new covenant, we are all called to this ministry of remembrance. Like Samuel, we should be reasoning with others, right? Pleading with others about the greatness of God and God's grace, to consider, verse 24, the great things God has done, to call them to return to Him and His people. And I know you know people who need to hear that. And I don't know how anyone regularly survives without that regular gathering to remember and to be formed into a people. I mean, I'm here every week, pretty much, right? Both services. I worship my heart out both times the best I can by God's grace, and I still mightily struggle to remember who God is, what He's done. I mean, I forget all through the week what I just stood up here and said and wrote and tried to learn. I'm weak, I'm frail, I'm prone to wonder, to leave the God I love. How much worse would I be? without the encouragement of you, the church. So listen, I know gathering comes with a cost, right? Time, emotional, relational, even financial involvement. But nothing can compare to the cost of forgetting that we begin to fall away from God and eventually perish. That's why I care so much about what we do here. That's why I plead with you to raise your family amidst the faith community where they can learn and remember so that just like when Joshua says, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them what God did and use these as a sign to help you remember. We need our kids to ask, what does Easter mean? Why are we coming to church on a Friday, like on Good Friday? What does this cup and this bread mean? Why do we do this on Sunday? And we tell them what God has done for us, right? I mean, Christians, we have a weekly holiday built in to help us remember what Jesus did. It's called Sunday, 
It's in commemoration of the day that Jesus rose again. That's why we gather on Sunday. It was so significant to the early Christians to remember what Jesus did, that they rearranged their whole lives and calendars. Back then, Sunday was not a weekend. It was not a day off. In fact, for the Jews, it was basically their Monday, if you will, the day after the Sabbath. But they were willing to throw all that aside because they realized the importance of this day of remembrance, that they needed it together. We don't do it because we have to. We do it because we want to. Because we don't want to forget to remember. Right? It's just coming here in the flesh is an act of humility, saying, I need this. I'm weak. I don't have it all together. I can't do it on my own. And Jesus, anticipating that we would and should regularly gather, He gave us very, very few instructions of what this needs to look like. There's a lot of freedom in what we do when we gather together. But one command He does give is to regularly come to this table. As Paul, who got it from first-hand witnesses, relays it in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is to help you remember the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In other words, it will help you not to forget to remember so that we are found ready when he comes again. Because like Israel, like the prodigal son in the New Testament, we've essentially all looked God in the face and said, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to do my own thing. But just like in verse 22 in today's chapter, God says, I'll never give up on you because I've bought you with my own precious blood, with my own torn body, and I'll welcome you back into my family at any time. And this table is the regular reminder that he loves you because he loves you. You can't earn the invitation to this table. It is just who God is. He is love. His arms are open. His table is so wide. It is so welcoming. He invites all sinners to come. And so that's why I always say with confidence that I offer this invitation to the table on behalf of Christ to come to this table. You who have been here often and you who have not been in a long time, perhaps never, You who have much faith and you who would like to have more. 
you who have tried to follow Jesus and especially all of those who feel as if they have failed. We say, come, for it is Christ who invites us to meet him here.